0: Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia de Bercier. And if you want to support the show, please check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop blathers to see the stickers and postcards we have for sale. And of course, tell your friends about us.
1: So this week, we're going to be talking about one of the bugs that I've been really surrounded by all year, and that is the diving beetle. So I've given my blood, sweat, and tears for this insect. I wish I was exaggerating, but anyone in ecology grad school will understand (laughs) that I'm not. So yeah, I really like this bug and i'm excited to tell you about it.
0: Yeah, i'm so excited. I feel like this episode has been a long time coming since this is one that you've been working on in grad school. So, i'm really excited to hear your stories about it.
1: Yeah, i it's kind of funny. I I wanted to do this episode partly because i just realized i like i've read a lot about this group of insects as it relates to my research, so specifically about like what species and like the diversity that's found in urban stormwater ponds, but I hadn't actually done any reading really about their like ecology and their physiology generally as a group and I thought it'd be kind of a good exercise for me to try and do what I normally do for these episodes and just like scour the literature in general and sort of like the public knowledge of these diving beetles and try and amalgamate it all together. So this in no way encompasses everything I've ever read about diving beetles, but hopefully it's like the more interesting facts to you, the general audience, and not someone trying to get a master's degree (laughs) in entomology.
0: Yeah, that's so fun. Well, let's see what Blathers has to say about the diving beetle, and I'm sure you can fact check him for us hmm So if you bring a diving beetle to Blathers, he'll say, Ah, the dastardly diving beetle. Famous for its distinctive round shape and its voracious appetite, this powerful predator uses thick back legs covered in hairs to paddle after its prey, and it uses suction cups on its front legs to grip its quarry for good. My own legs have gone weak thinking about it. Yeah, he does not <laughs> like insects. <laughs> no, he does not.
1: So- This is, in terms of like a physical description, a pretty good description of what the beetles look like. They're very round and usually have a flattened body shape. Its legs are also very long and broad and they stick out much like the paddles on a canoe. Often these beetles have very slick and stylish spotted or striped patterns on their body. And my favorite are the ones that are like a deep forest green with yellow marks on their back. I just think overall they're very pretty beetles and I really love looking at them in my like collection of beetles. I'm really excited to get to identifying these beetles because I've been so distracted with like the water boatmen, which are the other part of my research. So I'm finally getting to the point in my project where I'm getting to look at the beetles and ID them and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I feel like I mixed those two up a lot because I know we did the Water Boatmen. We
1: actually didn't. So we did like Water Striders and I think I want to say we did Back Swim. No, no, we did Water Striders. So they are in the same order, the Hemiptera, but they like the Water Boatmen are kind of these bullet shaped bugs with really massive eyes and then they've got these paddle legs and they just like whip around all over the place and they've got kind of stripy, spotty backs they're very green in color usually like a greeny brown yellow and then the water striders are those things that like walk on the surface of the water
0: I guess I get all three of these confused, just all of the (laughs) water-related insects.
1: (laughs) They all have very similar body plans with the, like, long legs with the paddle shape and kind of like a smooth brownish body, so they can be very confusing. We'll have to go pond dipping sometime, and then I can show you.
0: Yeah, I know. I've always wanted to. And so Blathers mentioned suction cups that they use to hold onto their prey. What does he mean by that? Yeah, so
1: this is the part of Blather's description of the diving beetle that isn't really right. And in fact, it's just like completely wrong. (laughs) Um, But before I explain why it's wrong, I'll talk a little bit about these suction cups. So that part he's got right. These suction cups are really amazing devices. Of course, they have a much science name than that, but I'm going to call them suction cups just for, because that's honestly what they look like. If you look at them under a microscope, it's actually really amazing. It's almost like, imagine like a big suction cup with a whole bunch of like mini suction cups inside of it. I was looking at them under the microscope today and They're really just the most incredible structures. I'll have to post a photo on Instagram so that everyone can see what these things look like because it's really, it's really beautiful and like bizarre. Anyway, the first time I noticed these section cups on the beetles in my sample is, well, okay, so this is a little bit dark. So if you don't like hearing about dead bugs, maybe skip ahead. But basically what was happening is... I have a whole bunch. Well, this summer when I was collecting the beetles, I had all these traps and the traps were bottle traps. So imagine they were quite literally just like a two liter soda bottle with the top cut off and like inverted. So it created this sort of like funnel trap. But essentially, I had these traps out and I was collecting all of these really big diving beetles. And what I noticed is some of them would be found like they would be dead in the bottle and I was having a really hard time pulling them off the sides of the bottle traps I was using. And when I looked really closely, I realized that they were attached to the bottle with these extremely round suction cup looking front feet. So what was happening was because of the unnaturally smooth surface of the plastic bottle trap, the beetles were getting stuck on the sides and then they were drowning So it's pretty morbid, but truth be told, I have to kill my specimens anyway in order to properly identify the beetles under the microscope. So it wasn't like, I don't know, it was kind of inevitable, but it was really interesting to me that their suction cup adaptation was becoming like such a issue with this human made object. But moving on, all this to say that the suction cups are really very effective at sectioning. And... They're actually only found on the males of certain groups of diving beetle. So contrary to what Blather says, they're not used to suction onto prey, but instead they're used for mating. Female diving beetles tend to be quite picky with mate selection, so she'll often swim away from courting males that don't impress her. But the males who are unperturbed will sort of try to pounce on her and grab hold using these suction cups. The suction cups help him hold tight while she swims around, trying to shake him off. And eventually, if he's successful in holding on, he gets to mate with her. So evolution does this funky thing sometimes where you end up with two sort of competing evolutionary traits. In this case, the male beetle ends up with more and more effective suction cups to help him hold on and mate with the female. But on the other hand, the female wants to be better at throwing unwanted males off of her. So female diving beetles will have these deep linear grooves down their back to make it harder for those suction cups to stick. Over time, the suction cups got kind of suction cupier and the grooves got deeper on the females. And these beetles ended up in what scientists call an evolutionary arms race. But the weird thing is not all females in the species will have this. So even in my samples, I'll find that some female individuals from the same pond that I catch will have very clear and distinct ridges and others won't they'll be like completely smooth and I think that's just such a cool example of how sometimes certain traits will you know be really obvious in like in a particular individual and then completely absent in another it's kind of amazing they look like two entirely different species
0: that's so interesting so how many species of diving beetle are there you mentioned kind of different color variations and and stuff yeah, so there's about 4,000
1: species. So they're a relatively large family of beetles. And certainly the largest group of aquatic beetles out there. So we call them diving beetles or the Dytiscidae. This name comes from the incorrectly derived word for diver in Greek. So if I accidentally say the word Dytiscid in this episode, that's what I'm referring to. It's actually very hard for me to try to call them by their English name, diving beetles, because I'm so used to calling them Ditisids in the lab, and it just, yeah, it feels weird to call them diving beetles. So the Ditisids, or the diving beetles, live all around the world. Pretty much wherever you are, you're bound to find a diving beetle nearby. The largest species comes from Brazil and reaches about 4.75 centimeters, or 1.9 inches, so a very large beetle. And the smallest species is a subterranean diving beetle from Australia that's about 0.9 millimeters long. So that's incredibly small. And in fact, I actually think I have a diving beetle from my sample that's, you know, probably about that size maybe a millimeter long so they can get really really tiny that's not uncommon and uh speaking of the subterranean diving beetles there's actually quite a number of these eyeless pale small species that live in subterranean areas And I didn't know this until I did my research, so it was really cool to see them. I will say they don't look like normal diving beetles. Most diving beetles are very, very oval-shaped, and these had this sort of creepy blank slate quality to them. Like, they weren't quite oval, at least in the photos I saw. I'm sure there's some that are, but a lot of the photos I saw, they looked like sort of what an alien would draw if you described a beetle, but then it, like, didn't have eyes, and it just was like this weird pinky gray. It was very creepy looking, but also very cool.
0: I'm kind of imagining like if naked mole rats were beetles or something. (laughs) Yeah, but like
1: also really smooth. Hmm. That's what was so eerie, I think, was it didn't like have any texture.
0: Are the subterranean ones still aquatic? Yeah, yeah. So they'll live in like
1: various underwater, like Like groundwater? Like wells and groundwater and that sort of thing. Caves.
0: And so I assume that you find the greatest number of diving beetle species in the tropics? So
1: apparently not. And this was totally
0: new. Like, I was amazed by
1: this. This is one of those rare moments where northern latitudes actually have about the same number of species as other areas like the tropics, for example. And it's possible that this is because diving beetles are pretty good at flying. And what may have happened is way back in the day when the last glaciers retreated, they left all of these new wetlands to colonize and all these beetles came in and were able to diversify in these very wetland rich lands. So that's kind of what one of the theories is as to why there's so many species up here. Actually, according to the government of Canada, quote, one Alberta boreal pond was found to support up to 50 species of diving beetle. So that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And I guess your research is kind of along those lines of seeing how many species there are in, in the ponds around Edmonton. Yeah, we're, I'm really interested in like the urban biodiversity of this
1: group. So I'm I have no idea at this point how many species I'm going to find. I'm hoping I can find at least 20, but I have no concept yet (laughs) if that's going to be realistic or not. We'll see.
0: Yeah, that'll be so interesting. You'll have to keep us posted once your research is complete. Yeah. But you mentioned before that the dead beetles you found in your trap had drowned, and I guess I'm just wondering how that's possible. Does that mean that they breathe air? Yeah, so diving beetles
1: like us breathe air, despite spending so much of their life underwater. So to do this, they'll basically have to create their own personal scuba tank. So if we think of a beetle, they have this hard, shiny looking back, and that back is actually a pair of modified wings called Elytra. In diving beetles, their elytra is modified to help them trap air bubbles, and they basically do this by dipping their head down into the water and poking their butt up and out into the air. So it basically traps a whole bunch of air bubbles under that elytra, and here under the elytra, they have special pores called spiracles that allow them to transfer the oxygen from the air bubble into their body. And so it's kind of a cool adaptation they've got uh, that helps them to just like swim around and have a little air to help them breathe while they go about their little beetle business. There are also some species that live in fast-flowing water that survive by just capturing pockets of air that can be found under the water, which to me feels like this adorable video game image of like a beetle like running around collecting little like orbs of air and then just like breathing it in, like kind of tucking it into its like personal pocket, Elytra pocket and breathing that way.
0: Yeah, that's such a cute visual. I'm just imagining little beetles with little scuba tanks, like little scuba diving beetles. (laughs) Oh, I really like that image too. I want to draw that. And what do their larvae look like? I know that for beetles, they can look pretty different.
1: Yes. And it's really... Like, alarming? <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I found the diving beetle larva for the really big species I get, Dytiscus alaskanus, And they were like, I don't, they were honestly kind of like the size of a lipstick canister, like in terms of length. That's huge. Really, really long. And I'm, I really don't know how to describe this, but they're kind of worm-like in shape, uh, sort of tapered on the end. And they've got this sort of pinched caterpillar-like quality to the body. So it's a little bit maggoty looking is maybe the best way I can describe it. I know that sounds really unappealing, but bear with me here. Their legs, sometimes they look like these magical long feathers that like ripple in the water. And in some cases, they're also very beautiful colors. So I remember seeing one that looked... Like this sort of silvery blue and it looked kind of like a Pokemon. But if you see their heads, they are huge and triangular and then they're topped off with these massive pinching jaws and they're very aptly named water tigers. I think if I ever made an alien movie, I definitely want the scary aliens to look like giant water tigers because they are truly some of the most strange creatures, especially if you look at them under a microscope.
0: Water tigers is a very
1: cool name. It is. I think if you've ever gone pond dipping, you're pretty well guaranteed to have caught some of these. Sometimes they can be extremely small, so they might be like a centimeter or so long. It it very much depends on what species it is and how big the adult beetle is going to be. I will mention that as we were talking about air breathing, so the larva of most diving beetles will also have to carry air with them, but instead of carrying air under their elytra, which they don't yet have, they have an air reservoir in their body. But they also have very simple eyes. So with the adult diving beetles, their eyes are quite large, but if you look at a water tiger under the microscope, it kind of looks like they have a patch of many small, dark polka dots where you'd expect to find eyeballs. And these eyes are movable and bifocal, and they help the larvae determine the distance between it and potential prey.
0: Yeah, speaking of prey, what are they eating with the scary, massive, pinching jaws? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Water tigers are pretty intense
1: predators of other water bugs. I've watched them take down all kinds of like fly larva and plankton. I've even seen them go after scuds, which are kind of they look like little mini shrimp and they are a type of crustacean that you find in freshwater habitats. So they're pretty aggressive. I mean, those pincers are extremely sharp looking and definitely look like ultimate predatory weapons. And the way that they feed is extremely freaky as well. Water tigers don't have a mouth, or at least not a mouth opening. Instead, they secrete a digestive fluid from their mandibles into their prey, which stops the prey from struggling and helps the water tiger digest the inside of the prey. Then they suck out that bug smoothie goodness through their mandibles. Which I feel like is how, when I was a kid, I imagined pincers working or, like, the fangs of a snake. I sort of thought that they could sort of bite into a creature and then, like, suck things up using their fangs, kind of like a straw. And then I learned that that's not really how, like, fangs work. (laughs) So it feels very counterintuitive to think of this water tiger
0: actually doing that. I feel like anything that you can imagine Is probably, like, real in some way in some animal. (laughs) That is freaky, I don't know if
1: that's, like, really inspiring or really terrifying. (laughs) It's both. Like, it's very vampiric. It is. I don't know. Like, I think that's what most people think, like, vampire bats can do. Yeah. Instead of, like, biting and then, like, licking
0: up blood. Maybe vampires transform into water tigers.
1: Wow. What a plot. Oh, I want to. I think that should be. (laughs) new vampire
0: lore it's like the hot vampire and then he becomes a water tiger (laughs) (laughs) like a juvenile diving beetle not even an adult
1: (laughs) diving beetle
0: (laughs) and what do the adult diving beetles eat do they have mouths
1: (laughs) Yeah, so despite the fact that sometimes they're called predaceous diving beetles, diving beetles will eat a combination of prey and then also likely they'll eat some plants as well. They'll also scavenge. But in general, most species are generalist predators. So they'll eat whatever invertebrate, fish, or even amphibian that wanders by and looks like something that they could successfully attack. So they will, they're pretty predatory, but... They, te- they can also be kind of clumsy in the water, so they aren't always, like, the most fearsome of predators.
0: And what's eating them? Diving
1: beetles can be eaten by all kinds of things, but in particular, fish and birds really like to chomp on them. But even other invertebrates, including other diving beetles, may also eat them.
0: And could you talk a bit more about what the rest of their life cycle looks like?
1: Yeah, so... Once a female diving beetle has mated, she'll go off and find a spot to lay her eggs. So this might be on the floor of whatever water body she's in, like a pond. Or the mama diving beetle will use her ovipositor, which is a tube-like egg depositing tool, to slice a piece of plant matter and carefully lay her eggs safely inside the plant. So that ovipositor might be sort of like knife-shaped. It might be more spear-shaped. It may even sort of have this prying mechanism so she can kind of, like, pry apart pieces of vegetation and, like, lay her eggs in that way. It's really cool. And then those eggs hatch into water tigers, which are the larval diving beetles, and they feed with the goal of growing nice and strong. And so they're very voracious predators. They're really, really hungry and they want to, like, get as many calories as they can so that they can successfully turn into an adult because that requires a lot of energy. And because diving beetles have a larval stage, this also means that they have to have a pupil stage. So once the water tiger is ready to go on to its next stage of its life, it will crawl out of the water sort of a little ways until it meets some kind of obstacle like a bush or a rock. And then it will bury down into the ground by pushing up a layer of soil and creating sort of a domed casing for itself to lay back on and rest. What's kind of fun is like the notes from my freshwater invertebrate class calls this casing a subterranean couch, which I think is very funny, especially because it included an illustration of a water tiger lying on its back, kind of lounging on this like curved couch. (laughs) It was very cute.
0: Like paint me like one of your French girls. (laughs) Yeah, it was
1: very like that. (laughs) So here is where the larva pupates and eventually an adult beetle will make its way out from the pupil home and fly off to find a new watery home. I will also mention that sometimes throughout the life of an adult diving beetle they'll do a little bit of flying around so they won't necessarily always stay in the same water body. They tend to be also very attracted to reflective surfaces like many other aquatic insects because those surfaces look like water. So if you ever find one on your car hood or kind of near a window, that might be why. You might be like, hey, there's no water around here. Why is this water beetle here? (laughs) Um, But yeah, they, they tend to get attracted to things that are not water. Another sort of side note I wanted to mention is if you do happen to find a diving beetle, you can actually keep them quite easily as pets. So The interesting thing about diving beetles is because they breathe air, they don't need like a filtration system like a pet goldfish would need. So you could actually keep them in like a tank with some land and a cover on top to make sure they don't fly out. And uh, you can feed them in there and you can have like a pet water beetle. So... If you're interested in that, there's tons of resources online about keeping water beetles as pets. And it can be really fun if you have kids and you want to, like, teach them about beetles. So I highly recommend uh, if you happen to go pond dipping and catch some, maybe try keeping them as pets.
0: Oh, that is fun.
1: Yeah, it's something I'll definitely have to try this summer.
0: (laughs) And do you have a favorite story from working with diving beetles this summer? Yeah. So
1: my favorite diving beetles are, as I've already mentioned, I've, I feel like I've talked about them a lot in this episode already, but my favorite are the biggest ones I can find here in Edmonton, which is a species called Dytiscus alaskanus. They're about three centimeters or just over an inch long. And they're really pretty. They're just like this sort of dark browny black, but that color will sort of turn an iridescent green when the light shines on them. They're just so pretty to me. So I caught a whole bunch of these at this pond near some farms and my partner Max was with me. And so we were back at the lab sorting the specimens and I really wanted to show him like how cool these huge beetles were. So I grabbed one with my hands to show him and then this thing just like started to smell so bad <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it, except that it was, like, just really, like, farty. It was just this, like, very, like, sulfuric, kind of, like, musky smell. So, yeah, these beetles are capable of expelling different chemical signals, some of which are used to communicate with potential mates or other members of their species. But others are used as a defense, Now, for this, I was talking to my supervisor, John Acorn, and he was telling me a really great story about a diving beetle. So I wanted to record this story and include it in the episode because I thought it was so funny. So I'm going to let him describe this defensive chemical.
2: Yeah, this this is a story about the late Rob Ruffley, who was a great diticid beetle taxonomist and... uh, and the way he told the story, he was out collecting specimens one day and, and he, he's scooping around in the pond and he looks in his net and he's got not just one but three species of the big, big Dytiscus beetles. And 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 he was pretty excited because that, that doesn't happen every day. But he had two problems. The first problem was he wanted to get each of the species in a different vial. And the second problem was they're all trying to climb out of the net. So he grabs the most uh, energetic beetle and he, and he put it between his lips, uh, with the legs and the and the jaws facing outward, so it you know it couldn't couldn't hurt him, and he figured I'll just hold it there while I deal with the other two species, and he got those in the vials, and then he then he spit the the, the first one back into the net and dealt with it, and at that point he realized that his mouth was getting kind of numb, and and then he realized he couldn't move his. Tongue, and he couldn't speak very good, and 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 the effects persisted for I think it was about a day, but that really gave him a, a, a high respect for the for the neurotoxic potential of one of these big diving beetles.
1: Thanks, John, for that. Excellent story. And now you folks know, if you have dental work coming up, consider sucking on a diving beetle. And Sophia hasn't actually heard that clip yet at the time I'm recording this. Yeah. (laughs) So now, Sophia, you get to imagine what on earth this
0: story is. That's a fun teaser.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, Sophia, when you're editing, that'll be like a fun, fun little inclusion for you. The other thing I wanted to mention, too, about like weird smells. This is just very anecdotal, but like I have, honestly, probably hundreds of beetles in this, like, in different boxes uh, sitting in the lab. And, like, when I open those boxes up, like, they're all nicely pinned at this point. And when I open them up, like, the smell is so strong. But it's not, like, strong as in the defense chemical. Like, it, it's not, it's not pungent in a really unpleasant way. It smells like Honestly, I don't even know how to describe this except sometimes it reminds me a little bit of like fennel or licorice. Mm. Like I just open it and it like sometimes makes my eyes water. Like it is such a strong smell and it's very clearly coming from the beetles. It's just such an interesting thing that I've got all of these insects that have been like dead since the summer and they're still like very smelly. I don't know. I just think it's it's really interesting and kind of a weird like I feel like one day I'm just going to, like, smell something very similar to the smell of these dead beetles, and it's just going to give me, like, major flashbacks (laughs) to this period in my life.
0: Yeah, I feel like I kind of smelled them when I was visiting your lab, and
1: it was strong.
0: Yeah, the lab has a lot
1: of smells that I think I've just gotten really (laughs) used to. Sophia also had the pleasure of coming in the summer when the entire lab smelled like pond water and, like, dead fish. Mm. (laughs) So... Because sometimes fish got stuck in my traps and made everything smell like dead fish, which was super fun. So, you know, any smell that isn't dead fish, I would consider a much like a, a pretty good smell. <laughs> not, not too terrible. Yeah. So that's the diving beetle. You can find these creatures pretty much anywhere. If you ever go pond dipping, you might even find their freaky little water tiger larva that possess huge jaws and feather like legs. And if you dare pick them up, you may end up with a stinky mess on your hands. But I still encourage picking them up.
0: Thank you so much, Olivia. What a fun episode. And it it's great to hear more about this insect that you're spending so much time with.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I feel like a year from now, I'm going to listen to this episode and like cringe and be like, that's wrong. Or like, that's not quite right. Because that's always what happens <laughs> when you become like really invested in a topic you learn all these details yeah then you want to come back and adjust everything you've said about them in the past so we might
0: have to do a diving beetle update (sighs) one day
1: (laughs) yeah maybe i'll have to like revisit it and be like well now i've learned this but but that's what i've got at least at this point in my degree
0: well yeah thank you and thanks everyone so much for listening make sure to follow us on instagram and twitter at beyond blathers and check out our tiktok at beyond underscore blathers
1: And of course, don't forget to take a look at our shop at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers.
0: Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye! Bye!